With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How difficult has your life been up to now? Have you given a voice to the difficulties? It's time to break the silence. Temporary difficulties end and your response to them determine how you live life after your difficulties. So respond well and live. You are listening to the Patricia Adams Live radio show where we discuss life's difficult topics. Stick around. live show and I want to thank you so much for joining us today. We have a very special legendary guest in the audience waiting to talk to us and they are calling in live from their set uh, where they are performing this weekend at Royals uh, Jazz Club in Boston, Massachusetts and I'm so excited to have my guests on with me. Um, They are also called Patricia Adams. So I find that fascinating that she is currently on site for her show performing as a jazz artist. And I think that the biggest thing about it is is that for the most part, she has defied what society would say is possible. And so for that reason, I reached out to her, the fact that she and I both share the same name, and the fact that she has defied what society thinks we ought to be doing at a certain time and a certain uh, certain stage of our lives, she is just doing the thing. That's all I can say. She is just doing the thing. Like um, the movie Ray Charles says, you know, we're going to make it do what it do, baby. She's making it do what it do, baby. So I am so pleased to have Patricia Adams on the show. And as she left 35 years of corporate experience to transition to become a jazz singer, she um, also was on the ballot for the 44th Annual Grammy Awards in four categories. She delivers a workshop at Berkeley College of Music in Boston uh, regarding her business, Jazz Jam, for the entrepreneurial musician. She's a band leader, and so they are 
teaching this band leader toolkit, which is a copyrighted toolkit, a collaboration with her music director, Berkeley professor Ray Santisi, where they both explore the nuts and bolts of prospecting, booking, managing gigs, and venues. So if you are in her area, you should take that class at Berkeley with her. Her vocals have been called um, harmonious, and, and I know that that probably isn't a word that you think about when you think about jazz, but I love music, and I get it. I dig it. So her vocals deliver an approach with emphasis on intimacy between the band leader and singer. That just says that her band leader and the singer are uptight. They are one. So the musician sounds mixed of jazz and blues, gospel and salsa. Her ability to put together a musical road atlas sets her apart from many other jazz vocalists on the contemporary scene. On the contemporary scene, okay, so these are people that she is in that category and people have placed her in that category and I believe she's holding her own because I've listened to her music. Um, her recorded efforts, unusual arrangements of well-known material are available through cdbaby.com and her website, patriciaadams.com. She has a BS and MBA degree. She studied music theory, harmony, and improvisation at the New England Conservatory, the Performing Arts School of Worcester, and studied with Semenya McCoy, Dominique E., Frank Wilkins, Janine Lavetri, a voice workshop, and Jim Carson, Sheila Jordan, and Kirk Newrock. Listen to one of her tracks entitled Frim Fram Thoughts from her album First Sundays. Before I bring her up, I want to play that. Uh, really, really quickly for you, and I apologize. We're going to have to go with um, the drum intro, Be Careful, is My Heart. Heart. It's not my watch you're holding. It's my heart. And without further ado, I am going to bring on our special guest, Patricia Adams, the jazz singer, band leader. Welcome, Patricia Adams. Well, thank you so much, Patricia. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. Oh, you are welcome. It's my pleasure. I am so excited and so elated to have you uh, that I am just tickled pink if that was possible. (laughs) (laughs) If that was possible at all. And, you know, I have um, been just so fascinated. And I listed Frim Fram, and I do have that available, but um, I had voted into the uh, instrument panel that drum intro, Be Careful, is My Heart, and okay. I saw that while I was getting ready for the broadcast and everything um, last week, and I thought, you know, I like that, because it was a mixture of spoken words, okay, um, and I like that because that's still a brand of poetry or, you know, poem writing, if you would. And I guess in some categories it would be considered rap. So I suppose you could put that <laughs> in the rap category. Um, also, um, I like the lyrics, you know. I like the that, lyrics. Yes, ma'am. That tune was uh, composed by Irving Berlin in the oh. 1940s. And, mm-hmm. yes, and it was um, – very popular back then. The drummer who's playing it um, on the recording you just ran is named Stanley C. Swan III, and he was my drummer for several years, and I still think of him as my drummer. Um, 
right now he's the director of the Lowell Jazz Day Camp, if I could give that a little bit of a plug. Uh, but anyway, the, 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 after the uh, spoken word part of it is completed, it goes on to sing, Be Careful, It's My Heart. Yes, yes. I like that. I, I like that a lot. And I had no idea, so I guess, you know, in all my research, I did not uh, research that enough. I was going to attribute that to being an original arrangement for you, but thank you so much for, um, you know, setting that straight so that our listeners would be educated as well as myself. So, again, we have on the air with Patricia Adams, and I'm just excited. I keep saying that because I'm just so excited about it. So um, I want to ask you this, in regards to the transition from corporate America, you said you've worked, you know, in corporate America for like 35 years, and then when it came time for you to decide that it was time to leave corporate America or that you were ready to take on this passion of yours to be a jazz singer, band leader, how did that happen? How did the transition happen from corporate America for you uh, into performing? I had you been performing while you were in corporate America. The answer is not a short one. <laughs> um, I and and the the decision itself was really evolved over a period of months and years, and it was based on the mix of a number of variables. I had a career that I loved in corporate America. I was in human resources, and I worked for some uh, three Fortune 500 companies and kept going up through the ranks and had senior jobs. And, and so it wasn't that I necessarily had to leave, but I did find that the work was starting to feel repetitive and I had lost interest in the work. I no longer had the zest uh, for the, the human resources function or for making creative kinds of projects and suggestions that, that would keep my, my own creative juices flowing. And about five years uh, before I left corporate America, a colleague was taking guitar lessons with his son at the Performing Arts School of Worcester and said, why don't you come on down so that I have another adult to keep me company because the school catered mostly to um, intermediate level school children. So I went down and uh, there to uh, Worcester and um, I was working in Massachusetts at, at the time, so it wasn't that far away. I was in uh, Maynard, Massachusetts. And I began um, working on my voice. And that had been a lifelong journey. And at various times, I had tried singing, um, both solo and in chorus, uh, and in groups, and it never really took. But I studied with a man named Alan Mueller there at the Performing Arts School of Worcester, and he was very encouraging and took me on as an individual student, helped me build repertoire in the jazz genre. And so 
there came a time when I was working full-time at Digital Equipment Corporation, and I was also spending full-time after work doing music, going to open mics, uh, going to private lessons. And it became evident to me that music was going to be a new place for me to learn and to make new discoveries about myself and to move into an entirely different area from the corporate arena. What I did not realize at the time, but certainly do in retrospect, is how transferable many of the corporate skills were and are into the music arena. The most obvious, I suppose, is stage presence. Uh, Platform skills are platform skills, regardless of whether you are making a pitch to a group of corporate executives or whether you are on stage uh, singing, connecting with an audience. That is that is one example. The the business skills are absolutely necessary to be a good musician, in my opinion, um, because this whole notion of organization, preparation, um, running a smooth show is, I think, very important. It speaks to the professionalism of of the musician. So when I looked at what the circumstances were within my chosen profession of human resources, at the time, and this was during the late 1990s, at the time, my company was going through a series of mergers with other computer companies, and it became apparent to me, anyway, that the time had come if I was going to do anything substantive with my music, this was it. I was 50 years old. I was physically starting to feel myself slow down. Um, My parents were in poor health, and I wanted to devote more time to spend with them. And it, the music was going extremely well. Uh, I had lots of encouragement from mentors and teachers. I was thinking about going back to school, which I eventually did, to the New England Conservatory, studied with Rand Blake and Dominique Eade. And so much of it came together that I e I would say that I eased into becoming a jazz singer rather than I made a specific decision. What I again see in retrospect is that retirement is not so much about affordability, although that's certainly uh, a consideration, but it's more about how you're going to spend the time once you do retire. And for me, that has been an easy decision because I'm spending it with the music. 
my music director, Ray Santisi, Professor Ray Santisi, reminded me today at rehearsal that the ability to stick with the decision and the commitment to be a musician is every bit as important as the decision itself. There are so many reasons not to be a musician. First of all, there's, you, I have not figured out a way to support myself as a musician. And fortunately, I have a pension and Social Security, so I don't have to. But it's, if, if for a young person, for instance, someone maybe in their 20s or 30s who's thinking about this as a career, the only way I've seen people make a living at it is to become teachers in a conservatory or music school, such as the Berklee College of Music, and to teach uh, private students after work on the side, and then to gig, play, perform when there is an opportunity. It was a friend of mine um, that I met at an open mic, a very fine vocalist named Nadine Chase, who made me realize that if if I sat home and waited for the phone to ring, I would never work. And so what I discovered was getting performing opportunities is the same as looking for any job. You must pound pavement. You must put together a resume in the entertainment business. It's called a bio. Um, and uh, in the entertainment business, you must be able to demonstrate your work. So some sort of a, a recording, whether it's a full CD or uh, just a, a demo CD, and be able to get some press from the media and have all of that packaged into a press kit and get out and show it to venues that have places that play music um, or that are thinking about playing music. Nadine always says she she goes to places where the paint's not dry on the wall yet, so she can be the first one in. Um, what I discovered, of course, is that a lot of venues already have a roster of musicians. And really, for for every opportunity, there's got to be 100 musicians standing in line. So, again, there are lots of reasons to sort of throw in the towel and say, I'm not going to do this. This this was dumb. Uh, and I I think that there must be people who do. But then there are people like me who decide they're going to stick with it, and part of the reason is because I can. A big part of the reason, though, is because I love the music. I love the old tunes that were written by Duke Ellington and Irving Berlin and Fats Waller and the Gershwins and um, Arlen and Mercer. I, all of these wonderful composers from the 1940s and the 1930s are people who wrote music with melodic lines that appeal to me 
And studying at the New England Conservatory, what I learned was to understand those melodic lines. And then the lyrics also appealed to me. And coming from a background of a family of journalists, I grew up with an appreciation for words. So com- combining this this love of the melody with with the lyrics combined to the harmonies in the chords. It's it's just such a beautiful sound, and to be part of making that sound brings a lot of joy to my heart. That's a long answer. If you'd like me to keep going, I can. <laughs> no, I'm good. Um, I want I do want to keep talking in that vein, that same vein because. What I was thinking about, I was just kind of bookmarking um, things as you were talking. And I think the the most uh, important thing that you said in regards to the transition that you made, mm-hmm. you were running your life parallel, you know. I mean, you were pursuing your, your music, you were pursuing your, your singing, but you were perfecting your tools. You know, you were honing your craft, um, and for a little while, as you were, you know, getting into it, you were running concurrent. You were in corporate America, and you were pursuing your passion, which you also, you know, were passionate about corporate America. But this part of your life, you didn't just start it after you left corporate America. And so, so your question is? Well, no, I'm still, I'm still going back over what you said. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking about all the things that you said. And the bookmarks that I that I made. So overall, the the whole transition came about because you were prepared. And I've always heard it's that um, success happens when preparation meets opportunity. That's correct. <laughs> so you just explained it, you know. And so that's what I was I was listening. I'm thinking, okay, that that's that that's you know that's where that goes, but. And it's good, you know, to know that in regards to people who think that they want to sing and know that they have a God-given ability to sing and feeling as though that gift should open doors for you, which that's what we've been taught scripturally. You know, those of us who have been taught biblically speaking is that your gift will make room for you. But we fail to maybe take that responsibility of what we do with that gift while room is being made for us. So you are you are acting responsibly with your gift that God had given you, and you were fine-tuning that craft and fine-tuning that gift so that when you felt comfortable in yourself that you were ready to make that transition, you you knew that you were ready. You knew that you had done what you needed to do to get ready for the opportunity that you were seeking. And you said something about um, your professor, uh, Santisi, correct me if I, if I heard this wrong, basically said that opportunities were not going to come knocking to you. You were going to have to go after them. Was that the right person that said that? You? No, it was it was my colleague, Nadine, who who pointed that out to me, that I I really was – that ha- and let's see, my – 
she said you're going to have to go look for it, look for opportunities the same way you look for a job. What I brought to that understanding was take my business skills that I had and use those to make those opportunities happen for me. And what I actually discovered was that most opportunities came my way not because I auditioned or somebody heard my music, but because I was introduced to somebody who was in a position to offer me an opportunity. So, and and that's been a little bit disappointing, actually. That it's almost like nobody cares what the music sounds like. The, um, you know, you could stand on your head and beat yourself with a pan, uh, and if it brought people into the venue, that's all anybody cares about. Um, and it is true that if you want to keep the gig, you got to fill the room. It's a very simple formula. And so that goes off into the whole discussion of marketing, building mailing lists. This is, this is what I cover in Band Leader Toolkit, uh, the workshop at Berkeley, um, and, it, it, and why it's important to always have your business cards and your CDs and your website and all of the bells and whistles of being a business person. Uh, you've got to be as good at that as you are at performing. Again, it's about, as another friend of mine who's a vocalist says, you got to get that meat in the seat. Um, <laughs> you've got to get that meat in the seat. Um, because without an audience, there's no way to pay the musicians and there's no way to pay the wait staff or the bartender or the, you know, carry the inventory or all of the, the business aspects of the music. There are a lot of musicians out there who disagree with me. Um, I say, fine, you, you know, do it your way. All I know is I'm working all the time. This gig I have at Riles Jazz Club in Cambridge, we're in our 10th year of playing the first Sunday of every month, and it's been going on. The the um, it, It's a great gig in a, a very large club. The capacity is 250 people, and there's a raised stage. There's a wonderful grand piano, stage light, sound, um, equipment and a great sound engineer, James Kamal Jones. The um, brunch is they do every Sunday, but that club has live music six nights a week. So it's and and it's a major club here in Boston. Even though I commute from New York, um, to me it's it's worth it. I I sort of say to myself. Uh, it's my artist in residence program. It I only the gig pays enough to pay the band. Period. So I don't pay myself, and I take on all the expenses of the commute and staying overnight. Um, it's uh, some accountants would call it a hobby. In, in 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 that from a from a business perspective because I'm not actually making money. 
But from a musical perspective, I'm working with master musicians. Uh, Ray Santisi can call anybody in the city of Boston, and they will come and work for us because it is him who is asking. Uh, I've worked with some of the finest people in the business and continue to look forward to doing that at Riles Jazz Club. I've got uh, a gig in New York that I've been doing at Mama Rosa's Restaurant. I just started up about eight months ago. And so I'm going through this whole process of trying to make sure I pack the house every time. Uh, and it, it it is not easy. It is not easy to keep everything fresh and new and to be uh, – make people feel as if they're excited and they want to come and be part of what you're doing. That's sort of a long ramble to <laughs> to what you were saying, but the 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 business side of of entertaining is is really key if you are a solo artist. And that's what I am. I cannot say that I have a band because I can't afford to pay people full-time. And yet, Ray has been with me for 10 years, and uh, my drummer, Gary Johnson, has been with us for about, I guess, I don't know, seven or eight years now. And our bass player uh, is probably the newest member of the group, and he's been with us for about three or four years. We started out with with different bass player and drummer, and it took a while to get the right mix of people. But we have and we do, and it's it's a wonderful sound that they bring to that stage and, and support the repertoire that I love. Wow. Now, that's so much knowledge. That is so much knowledge that you can share. And I digest it as fast as I possibly can. What I would like to do when um, I originally brought you up, I played the intro, the drum intro to Be Careful, It's My Heart. Mm-hmm. And if it's mine, I'd like to play the uh, long play version of Be Careful, It's My Heart. Go right ahead. I'll be delighted.
Ray, call in and help us out here. <laughs> I'm having a blast. Wish I was there. Wish I was there. Okay. Uh, we wish you were too. <laughs> I'm having a blast. So right now, um, I want to, you know, basically ask you this question in regards to your family history. And I found it really fascinating because I love communications and mass media. And even though you have um, successfully transitioned into being the jazz singer band leader and you having a love for words, you're still in love with words, as you said, and you still are in love with the sound and the vibe of the harmony that you guys create, the melodies that you guys create. And I'm thinking, you know, this still goes back to what her parents passed down to her because they were journalism majors. And journalism, you know, journalists basically uh, major in being wordsmith, the way that you put a story together, the way that you write a byline, the way that you uh, draw an audience in, you know, putting meat in the seat, if you would, (laughs) to to buy the paper. So, you know, if, if if I really, like, have this visual image of it's like basically you've taken what was given to you from your background with your family of journalism and lifted the words off of paper and put them into the atmosphere, basically, you know. And so you created an environment of words for yourself based off of truly who you are because you are truly representing your heritage. Um, So you are a communicator, obviously, and you took your business acumen, and even though you said, you know, you worked 35 years in HR, a lot of that still were things that were passed on to you that you built on from your family. And you told me the story about your mom, which I thought was really fascinating, and the story about your father, that they were really um, people who loved education, period. They loved education, but they loved the thought and the premise and the principles behind improving yourself. You know, as long as you were breathing, as long as you were alive, you should be improving. So do you want to share any of that? I'd be glad to. Um, I'm going to have to go back and and provide the uh, listening public with, with some background that you and I have already discussed. Um, my my dad is from Omaha, Nebraska, and my mom is from Beaumont, Texas. And when my dad finished high school, he was befriended by the bishop at the local Episcopal church who saw how smart he was and got in touch with the priest at uh, Hobart College, it was called at the time, today it's called Hobart and William Smith College, and it's in Geneva, New York. And the bishop talked to his colleague and said, I have a young man here who is very smart and who wants to be a minister, and I'd like to send him there to you. Now, in the course of the conversation, I don't know whether it was ever mentioned that my dad was African-American or not, But when he got to Geneva and showed up at the dormitory, they told him that he 
could go to school there, but he could not live there. And so he went out into the black community. He went and found the black community and knocked on some doors. And they said, oh, yes, young man, we heard you were coming. Um, What is it you need, anything you need? And so they made room for him in one of the local homes there. The people turned out to be uh, my first set of godparents. And Dad went to school there at Hobart and uh, graduated Phi Beta Kappa. He majored in Greek, uh, psychology, and I'm going to say English. I I think that's correct. And he was given two scholarships. One was to the Harvard Graduate School of Business, and one was to the New York Theological Seminary. And he decided he had always wanted to be a minister. He was very devoted uh, to the Episcopalian Church. And so he decided that taking the the, uh, Harvard scholarship, he wasn't quite sure what a black man in 1932 was going to do with an MBA, but he felt comfortable taking the scholarship from General Theological Seminary in New York, and so that was where he came. And he uh, and he went through the seminary. Now, my mother simultaneously uh, went to Howard University in Washington, D.C., and when she completed her studies, she also came to New York, and that was where they met. Now, New York, New York in the 1940s, which is where we are now in the history, was undergoing a whole Harlem Renaissance, and it was a, a time of journalists and artists and entertainers and musicians, uh, sculptors, all kinds of people coming together to uh, share their interests and their thinking, and the uh mantle that my parents took on was really one of being activists. And everything that they did from certainly from as long as I knew them was in the in the vein of giving back, of trying to help others and in particular do things that would impact families and the race, uh, other African Americans. And so my dad was assigned, when he com- when he finished his studies, the diocese, the Episcopal diocese hired him to do their newsletter, actually. And that, I think, may be where he got the basis for some of his background in journalism And then he also did a tour of duty with the Amsterdam News. Down the road, he also did a tour with Ebony Magazine. But he and my mom together created, started in 1951, the Westchester County Press. We had just moved to Westchester County a few years before, mainly because of the educational system that would be available to me. And my parents observed that there was no black newspaper in the black community and realized that coupled with my dad's church work, uh, 
he uh, he had two churches there, one in Yonkers and one in Elmsford, New York. That that would be a powerful partnership. The uh, ministering to the community and then the communicating to the the community through through the newspaper. The newspaper continues on today. It's in its gosh, its 90th year of publication, I think, and it's never never missed a week. It's a small newspaper. It covers community news there in Westchester County. Westchester County is either the third or fourth largest and richest county in the United States. And so it's it's covering a um an important group of people. Uh what I got growing up in that family was an understanding of how important it is to do things for other people as well as to be able to articulate and put in writing what you think and what you feel and how powerful the correctly written word could be. In our home, we our dining room was was really the the central communication system for for everything and all three of us had a typewriter it was a royal typewriter uh, a manual typewriter at our at our spot at the at the dining room table and when it was time to eat we would put the typewriters to one side but everything got done there in the dining room and my parents both uh, very prolific and excellent writers did all of their writing there. And, of course, I was observing and I was participating, and I occasionally did a piece for the newspaper. So writing just became, uh, it was as natural to me as breathing. I'm just visualizing all of that. I typewriter in my life too, and I remember our royal typewriters, and I'm just visualizing this typewriter in my mind, and the three of you sitting at the table. So that's that's a great picture. I would love it if you had photographs of that. You should really, really bring those out. <laughs> That is amazing. So I'm in awe, and I feel in awe of uh, still you being here and taking the time out of your schedule. And if you want to give a shout out to uh, the set tonight, uh, please feel free to do that. Well, thank you so much. What I um, I have uh, sent out to uh, all of my mailing lists. Uh, throughout the U.S. and outside the U.S. to let them know that this broadcast is going on. And some people may call in. Uh, anyone in Massachusetts, let me remind you, we're looking for you at the brunch tomorrow at Riles Jazz Club. The doors open at 10 o'clock, and the music starts at 1045 in the morning. So um, we very much... Uh, Look forward to to seeing as many people who who can come. 
Patricia, I want to thank you for this opportunity. It's been very exciting, and uh, uh, it gives me an opportunity to reminisce and to think about all the wonderful people that I've met along the way and who've helped along the way and continue to help. And thank you very much. Well, you always welcome here. And so I'm going to play Blackberry Winter, and um, I hope you have a great set tonight. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Remember, anytime. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Blackberry winter is a sudden cool spell in the south, coming around the 1st of June after the blackberry briars blossom. This unexpected and short winter lasts but a few days when warm weather returns to stay. Blackberry winter comes without a warning just when you think that spring's around to stay and you wake up on a cold rainy morning and wonder what on earth became of me blackberry winter days just long enough to get you feeling sad when you think of all the love that you wasted on someone you never really had I'll never get old Oh, uh-huh. 
And again, all I can say is, yeah, baby, she make it do what it do. I like that, Patricia Adams, the jazz singer singing Be Careful With My Heart and Blackberry Winter. Please check out her website at patriciaadams.com. Also, her music is available on CD Baby um, as well, and I, I also Amazon. And if you're ever in the North area, um, check her out at her different venues, which she has posted on her site, and also um, at Wild Jazz Club. She's there this weekend in um, Massachusetts. So those of you who are in the Massachusetts area, go on out and check out Patricia Adams. And thank you so much, Patricia Adams, for being on the show, for taking the time out between sets. And this is the Patricia Adams Live Show and I'm just on a cloud. So if you can hear it in my voice, I am just on a cloud. I've had a great time. Hope you've had a great time. Hope you'll continue to listen to the show um, as we continue to bring you topics. Some of them may be difficult topics that would probably not fit into light society, but we also like to interview interesting people and interesting topics that we think would bring edification to our listeners. I'm truly edified by my guest, Patricia Adams, and I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged because um, there is some things that I'm still pursuing, some things that I'm still working toward, and all I know is that in order for me to reach my goals, I have to be ready. That's the simple message. This is the story of someone who was simply ready. And when opportunity presented itself, she was ready to take the opportunity. She didn't have to tell them, give me 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and I'll be ready. She was ready to seize the opportunity and therefore walk in her success. So just in summary, anything in life that you're pursuing, your passions especially, um, don't take them for granted. Whatever it is that you need to do to make yourself the best you, um, it's not about saying you can be better than somebody else, but if you know that you are the best that you can possibly be, then that is unbeatable. So it's not about beating the competition, but you can hold your own, you can stand your ground and know that every single time you set out to present your gift to the world and put the meat in those seats, you are giving your absolute best, no matter what your audience is, no matter what your genre is, no matter what um, station in life or people that you are talking to or communicating with, first and foremost, communicate your best. Give the best that you have. Give more than what you would want somebody to give to you, and you will never, ever, ever, ever be disappointed in the results. So, again, we thank Patricia Adams. We wish her success in her endeavors, and especially tonight. And we thank our listening audience for tuning in. Those of you, um, after five minutes after the show complete, you'll be able to download this podcast. But please, 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 um, the music that was played here is available. It is available on patriciaadams.com. And this, uh, the songs that we were playing were the drum intro to Be Careful, It's My Heart, and also the full a long play version of Be Careful, It's My Heart and Black Berry Winter. And these were performed with her band, uh, the Patricia Adams Quartet, 
and I believe Professor Santisi. So we want to just remember that Professor Ray Santisi and those of you who are in the area, uh, check out her workshops at Berkeley. And the information is on the show page, and the information is on her website as well. So, again, thank you so much for being on Patricia Adams Live, Patricia Adams. And we look forward to hoping that you'll come back for many, many more returns. So this is us saying to you, it's not what happens to you, but it's how you respond to what happens to you that matters. Bad things happen. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to stay the victim? Are you going to stay victimized? Are you going to stay down? Or are you going to face what happens with integrity and knowing that everything, everything that has ever happened to you in your life has a meaning behind it and it's all going to come together and show you your purpose. So respond well, live well. My book, A Child's Rights Violated, Her Terrorism Promise, shares my voice to my childhood difficulties. And my other books share my voice of response to my childhood difficulties. Find links in the show notes or go to patriciaadamslive.com to be taken to online retailers. If you are in distress currently and need immediate help, call 911. And you can also reach out to the National Hotline for Child Abuse at 1-800-4-CHILD. 24-7 crisis counselors are available. As we close the show, remember, temporary difficulties end and your response to them determine how you live life after your difficulties. So respond well and live. Tweet about the show on Twitter at Pat Adams Live and comment to our Facebook page at the bottom of the show page. Follow us on the show page to receive notices of the next airing. If you have questions, comments, want to be a guest, topic requests, let me know. Fill out the contact form on PatriciaAdamsLive.com. Thanks for listening. That's the show. Until next time, take care and watch for more from the Patricia Adams Live show. And now a special treat that I promised Prim Prim Sauce. Patricia Adams as we go out. Take care all. I don't want French fried potatoes, red red tomatoes. I'm never satisfied. I want the frame frame sauce with Boston face and shifafa on the side. Pork chops and bacon That won't awaken My appetite inside I want the Frim Frim sauce With us and faith And chip up on the side Now a lady's really got to eat And a lady must eat right I will get you ten I'm gonna feed myself right You heard what I said Waiter, please serve my fried I want the fried
French fried potatoes or red ripe tomatoes. I'm never satisfied. I want the frim frim flaws with balls and and chef papa on the side. I don't want pork chops and bacon. That won't awaken my appetite inside. I want the Lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 